Hello, and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime, lots of rants. Lots. <laughs> so, I feel like I need to apologize for last last episode, so you're like, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I would just stay quiet during your rant, because politics are not my thing. So just... I know. And like I said, I, I know that I'm overstating things, and I... <laughs> I shouldn't paint with such a broad swath, but I guess it's the hypocrisy that pisses me off more than anything. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you sit there and you claim other people should not have things that you try to claim for yourself or that you do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or that you claim other people shouldn't do, but you shamelessly do it yourself without any sort of, like, self-awareness, that drives me insane. Yeah. So, okay, I'm sorry. So, my case today... is going to kill me. It, yeah, probably. So, this was a case that I've known about for a while. Okay. Um, I almost watched... There's a, a series on Investigation Discovery that... I don't know if it was just like a short series where it was only the two episodes or if they are continuing to do it further. I didn't watch it today because I didn't have time because I had to work. But there is a series on Investigation Discovery called Children of the Snow. Okay. And it is all about this case. It's okay. They're like kind of deep diving into it. And I did kind of go against my own rules with the no cold cases. Ugh. Because this case is just very intriguing to right. me. So we are talking about the Oakland County child killer. See, and I know nothing about this. Really? Yeah. So... In the 1970s, there was just like a rise of child murders in yes. general. Yes. And in fact, way higher than today, by the way. When people sit today and they're like, oh, it's so dangerous. And no, 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 no. When you do um, the per capita adjustments, mm -hmm. the 1970s were one of the most violent modern decades. Yeah. Like off the charts. Yeah. For children, for adults. I mean, for everybody. Yeah. The per capita murder rate in the United States versus today it it has plummeted and most people don't realize that yeah so like it just in general there mm -hmm. was a very high rise mm -hmm. of child murders and abductions and especially in oakland county okay. it was nuts so technically officially the murders wouldn't start until about 1979, 74, 79, somewhere around there. 74 to 79? Yes, somewhere That's a around big there. Span. Yes, but there are a couple of cases that may or may not be linked wow. to this. Okay, how many are we talking about? I just want to know that up front. So, four for sure. Okay. And there are a couple that may or may not may be. Not. Okay. Yes. So, we're not talking like. The Atlanta child murders. We're not no. talking those kind of yes. numbers, but we do have four that we know are know connected. for sure okay. are connected. Ew. And there are a couple. So it could have started as early as 1972. Okay. There was a girl named uh, Donna Sarah. 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 I'm gonna say Sarah. Okay. She was 16 years old from Ray Township, which is in Macomb County. She was about 5'3", weighed 110 pounds, mm -hmm. and she kind of has some sort of resemblance to a later victim. Okay. So Donna left school at about 1.05 p.m. on Friday, September 29th, 1972. 
And she, it's thought that she was just ditching school for the day, decided to hitchhike to the beach. And again, we've talked about this. Hitchhiking in the 70s was so common. Oh, yeah. yeah. So common. Yes. They're like, it, it just wasn't a weird thing. Mm-hmm. And that also has been kind of the center of a lot of murders and abductions. Right. Yes. Is because it was dangerous. Yes. So it just, before she vanished, she ended up at the beach of Lake St. Clair. Okay. Now, she was then kidnapped and she was said to be held captive for several days. And on October 20th, 1972, her strangled body was found along, along the side of the road in Ray Township, the, the town where she was from. Okay. Um, police were so like baffled by Mm -hmm. it. They had no idea. Like, that this would have been something to happen, which is strange because they do talk about this influx right. in murders, but then it's like, oh, but the police were baffled by it. But you know what? Here's the thing. Like, I think even if you do know that there are high number, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's still... it Because chi- the murder of a child is just goes against so many norms mm-hmm. and, I don't know, just inherently feels yeah. so much worse. So, her case would soon be labeled as unsolved. Okay. Now, was there any sexual assault? I hate to ask that. We'll we'll get there. Oh, God. So, a theory that the police had in her case was that the killer joined the military after her murder, which I'm not sure exactly why they connected those two things. It might be because they had no other leads. And so they were like, Oh, he joined the military and like went off somewhere else. Okay. So half the case file on Donna is apparently missing. So her case, her case file is not complete because for some reason there's parts missing Mm -hmm. and they don't know why. Okay. And there have been, there's been, maybe there was a cover up of some sort or something was taken. Yes. So there's been no new information on her murder since it was originally investigated and it currently remains unsolved. Okay. Now, a few years later on January 14th, 1976, Cynthia with a last name that I cannot pronounce for the life of me. Okay. Do you want me to look at it? I would Caddo? say Cadu, because that looks French. Okay. Yeah. She was 16 years old, and she was abducted off the side of the road. And very early, very early the next day, she was found in the snow, beaten, raped, sodomized, and bludgeoned to death. Oh, God. Her body was nude and laid out on a roll. Ro- I can't ever say this word. This Rural. is thank you. <laughs> if anybody does, anybody have like one of those words that they literally, for the life of them, cannot yes. pronounce. That's my word. Okay, I can't ever. <laughs> anyway, so she was on the side of the road in Bloomfield Township. Her body had been dragged over the snow-covered pavement, and her clothes piled neatly, about fifteen feet from her body. Okay. And for years, this this case had been considered unsolved in the media, and there have been stories on the case that were published. Um, and it was also, at one point, 
published in a book that it was connected to the Oakland County child killer, which we'll okay. get into a little bit. Okay. So five days after the murder of Cynthia, on January 19th, 1976, a teen girl named Sheila Schrock was babysitting when an intruder broke into the house. The man raped, sodomized, and shot her to death. Oh, my God. The That's in, so brazen. Yeah. And it was only a couple of days later. So the intruder had been a burglar who had just finished breaking into several other houses in the neighborhood. Jesus. And he was seen by a man shoveling snow off a roof. across. The, there was a man across the street shoveling snow, snow off his roof, and he saw this dude break into this house. Okay. Now... I'm curious as to why, if he just broke into a bunch of other houses in the neighborhood, why this dude on the roof didn't see him break into the other ones. And didn't call the cops? Or did he call the... And how do you know it's the same guy? But anyway. Yeah. So, he... Just like our last one with Cynthia, this murder was also classified in the child... The Oakland County child killer. Okay. But those two are not... They're not official victims. All right. And I put that in air quotes. Yes. They just think they most likely are part. Yes. Okay. So the reason that they are not officially counted as victims of the Oakland County child killer is because each of their perpetrators is currently in prison. Oh, so somebody was charged with and each convicted one of, their of those yes. crimes. Okay. So a man named Bobby J. Anglin, Angelin, is serving time for Cynthia's murder. Okay. And a man named Oliver Rhodes Andrews is serving time for the murder of Sheila Schrock. Okay. But we don't really have a whole lot of information on them because that's not who I'm focusing on. Right. Because I assume if they would have been suspects in the rest of the murders, that they would have been able to at least To connect them. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And they weren't able to do that. So now we're going to get into our first official victim. Okay. Now this is officially the start of the Oakland County child killings. Now this is a boy named Mark Stebbins. Okay. Now already we are different from our last ones because the rest were women or girls. girls. They were not women. They were girls. And this is a boy. Okay. Already MO is different. Right. Unless he just like, unless whoever's doing this, if it is all one person Mm -hmm. just likes children although usually there's a gender preference as well so mark stebbins from all accounts was a very likable little boy he was 12 years old he was in seventh grade and he lived with his mother ruth stebbins after his parents had split up when he was five and he apparently had planned on becoming a marine he had plans on (laughs) that and the last time he would ever see his mother would be around 12.25 in the afternoon on February 15th, 1976. And they were at a party for his mother and her coworkers. And there was like a pool tournament going on. And he ended up telling, he originally asked his mom for money to go to like a local hobby shop. Okay. And she said no because she had already given him a lot, his allowance and he spent it. So okay. no. Yeah. <laughs> I have logical reason. Right. So he 
didn't really seem mad or upset at all about it. He was just like, all right, whatever. And, but he did tell his mom that he wanted to go home and watch a movie. Like, okay. I don't want to be here anymore. Right. This is like, which Boring I get. adult party. Exactly. So she let him go home to watch a movie. She stayed at her party. Hmm. And Mark said he was three blocks from his house. And later in the day, around 7.15, his mother would call home to check on him, but there was no answer. Oh, no. So it appeared that he was not home. And she apparently didn't really think anything of it because she didn't end up back home until 9 p.m. That's when she realized that he was not there. And now she freaked out a little bit. And she decided that she'd wait one more hour to see if he showed up. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming she thought that, like, he came home, he got bored, he went, he did something. Okay, and here I'm going to break in here for just a moment because when people bitch and moan about helicopter parents, it's because of stories like this. Yeah. I'm sorry, like, my kid, like, if, <laughs> if I call my kid and he does not answer the phone, like, immediately or call me right back if he mm-hmm. missed my call... I freak out and <laughs> I know, I know it's an overreaction on one level, but in the back of my head are stories like this. Yeah. And I'm, this is what caused this generation of helicopter parents who freak out like this because yeah. you hear these kind of stories mm-hmm. where the mom's like, oh, well, he's fine. You know, I'll check on him in a couple hours. And then you realize your baby never came home and he's dead. And I like, <laughs> I know how crazy that is, but that is always what's in the back of my head. Yeah. Yeah. So after the hour of waiting, she called the police and Mark would be missing for about 10 more hours. Well, she, he in total was missing for about 10 hours okay. before she called the police. All right. Which I feel like is a lot of time, but you also have to think that part of that time she, she wasn't home and know. didn't right. realize he was missing. Right. So I get it. And the police would assume. Oh God, not the whole world ran away. He's at a friend's house. They assumed that he was just out with some friends, or possibly was a runaway, and he would likely turn up soon. Uh, I'm so glad police departments, for the most part, are over that. So they. The police said, quote, we haven't had any kidnappings in Ferndale in 10 years. So that's why they assumed that he was just... thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So with Mark not turning up at all, the police decide we're going to do our jobs. Finally. And they start searching abandoned buildings and searching around every location that they think is like a possibility. And according to his mother, she stayed up all night lying awake the night he disappeared, which obviously. Of course she would. She kept say, she said, I kept hearing noises and thinking it was Mark. And the next few days, I set three places, three places at the table in hopes that he would return home. Oh. Now, four days later, just before noon on February 19th at a parking lot, Mark was found dead. His body was placed there, not killed there. And his body was curled up as if he were sleeping near the dumpster in the parking lot of an office building in Oak Park. And there have been a lot of different reports when it comes to his body. Now, there were a lot saying that, and this will come up in other cases as well, or other victims as well, 
where they say that his body was bathed so okay. that there would be no sort of Residue. DNA or mm-hmm. anything like that. But then there are other cases or other reports that say that, no, he was not bathed, that they did find some DNA and some hair fibers and some carpet fibers and stuff like that. Okay. So it's very strange that Again, there's that you some... have these weird conflicting reports. Exactly. Especially with it still being an open, unsolved yeah. case. You would think they, that they would kind of fix... Unless they're doing this on purpose. Do you know what I mean? How sometimes they do that so that when they do get a perpetrator in, they say something that gives away that they had to be there yeah. to know the information for yeah. sure. So the it appeared that he had been only been dead for about eight hours. Oh. And the police at the scene said that there were bruising and wounds indicating that Mark had been beaten and tied up. He was probably held for some time in the trunk of a car. The exact manner of death is often reported being some saying that there were ligature wounds around the boy's throat. Others saying that he was like strangled to death. Others said that he was like molested and that he had been smothered, not strangled. And again, conflicting reports. It's very strange, but I get it. Um, It also said that... He so he was molested, and again that he had been washed clean by his killer. But then some said that they weren't. And let's just say raped. You yeah, know, I hate that we still use the word molested. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Molested is bothered. It's bugged. Rape is rape. Yeah, I mean, that's what this is. Yeah. It also said that like his clothes were washed, dried, and pressed. But again, there were other reports saying that no, his clothes were dirty and not washed or pressed in any way. And he, it said that he was placed, quote unquote, tenderly in a sleeping position. And because of this, they originally nicknamed his killer the babysitter. Because although he was raped and beaten and tied and (laughs) killed, that he was one, kept for a long period of time. And two, he was supposedly bathed and clean and his right, clothes were clean right. and he was placed in a and gentle place, manner. Yeah, the placement of the body yes. is weird. Now, at this point, the Ferndale police were involved due to the missing persons report and now the Southfield police were part of it because of it's a murder. So they're okay. both involved because the victim was one found in a different jurisdiction but they have the missing persons in one jurisdiction. So now both police... Right are involved and an error by police soon followed oh god when southfield police moved mark's body before the county medical examiner had been had even been able to make it on the scene what the hell so mark's body had been taken to the Southfield Police Department rather than directly to the morgue. Mm -hmm. Police then removed Mark's clothing before he was sent to the morgue, which likely contaminated and destroyed any evidence that was possibly on him or on his clothing. Oh, my God. Yes. Stupid. Now, the police, with the help of a psychiatrist named Bruce Danto, quickly went back to the dump site and placed a child-sized mannequin dressed as Mark 
at the dump site and attempt to lure the killer back to the scene. Now, first of all, dumb. Because if there is a child... I mean, it's the 70s. The media's still big. Exactly. That, and I'm sure that if he planned on going back, he would have already been watching. Right, yes. So this this killer, first of all, had to have known that the body had been moved. So them trying to put, like, a mannequin in its place to, like, lure him back. Like, that was fucking stupid, a waste of fucking time. You shouldn't have been dumb enough to move the body in the first place. Fucking idiots. Yes. So the police work itself was just fucking shoddy. It was bad. They did not do a good job. And because of this, they really had no evidence that could be recovered at the crime scene because now you've got officers in and out. You've moved the body already. You've put something else in its place, which now you're just contaminating the whole fucking place. Exactly. These officers are fucking idiots. (laughs) Sorry. Not sorry. But... (laughs) I feel like you, I feel like that's the number one thing with a murder crime scene. You do not touch the body. So before forensics could get to the crime scene, Mark's body had already been moved, taken to the morgue, stripped of clothes and destroyed every possible evidence that could have been left behind. Now, After Mark's funeral, at the exact spot where Mark had been placed, the police would find a funeral card from Mark's service, possibly left by the there, possibly left there by the killer, suggesting that he attended Mark's funeral, which we know is not a strange thing. We know that a lot of the time these murderers like to place themselves in the middle of these, whether it be in the middle of the investigation or they like to show up at funerals. Mm -hmm. They like to comfort the family. They like to be in the middle of it because it gives them the most sense of like, ha ha, I'm better than you because I did this and you don't know anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Ruth Stebbins said that she said, I did not recognize everyone who came. I might've even shaken hands with the killer. Ugh. And after all, after all of it, Mark's 17 year old brother, Michael stopped studying. He started using drugs. He started drinking and he just had a lot of issues with the law, which is so sad that like, you you know, these people have, they have to find ways to cope. And a lot of the time it ends badly. It ends with drugs it ends with alcohol and it ends with a lot of. Well, and that's just it. I mean, when you're, when somebody is murdered, they're not the only victim, you know, their families are victimized in ways. And you and I were just talking about, you know, drug addiction and Uh things like that. You know, this is a case where you get it, you know? And Ruth said that anytime she hears about a child's death, it brings back memories of her son. She said, every time a child has been killed since Mark, it happens to me all over again. I still think about it every day. Now, again, his case went quickly unsolved because the fucking police are stupid and they had no fucking evidence because they were dumb. Yeah. So now that was our first victim. Our second official victim is Jill Robinson. She was 12 years old, but she had, strangely, she had like a deep fear that a man was going to shoot her. Okay. And 
she told her mother at one point before she had gone missing, she said, I know it's crazy, but it feels like someone's going to shoot me. Mm-hmm. Which is a very strange thing to say. I mean, I'm paranoid, like a lot, but I don't think I've ever had this like feeling like I feel like someone's going to kill me. That's weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's weird. Very weird. Um, and she was even taken to a child psychologist to deal with all of these. She, cause it was like a deep, deep fear that it okay. was just like crushing So almost her. like a phobia. Yes. It had crossed that line. Yes. So she ends up getting taken to a child psychologist and one night in December, Jill's mom, Carol, found her daughter on the verge of tears. She hugged her and they both just like cried even though it didn't really say that her mom had really known what was going on. She just like saw her daughter crying. And so they just started are hugging each other, sobbing. And about three days before Christmas on Wednesday, December no, 22nd, no, no, no. Jill had an argument with her mother over who was going to make biscuits for dinner. Uh-huh. And <laughs> she, because of this argument, she leaves, she gets on her bike and she rides away. The thought was that she was going to her father's house uh-huh. But she never made it there. The last time anyone saw her was about 7.30 p.m. at Tiny Tim Hobby Center. So the police thought that she was likely a runaway, mm-hmm. which it's a little more understandable, understandable this with this case, one because right. they got in an argument. She left. Yeah. Makes sense. But you would think that like she plans on coming back because she didn't take anything with her. Right. It's not like she went and packed a bag exactly. and like dipped out. So... Again, she was likely a runaway. She'll turn up eventually. And clearly that wasn't the case. And it wasn't, it was not worked as an abduction right away, clearly. And the day after her disappearance, her bicycle turned up it behind a hobby store on Main Street in the city. Police still thought she was a runaway, which fucking stupid. That's how she ran away was on her bike. What do you think happened when they find her bike? <sighs> these cops. I know, like she's just going to tra- <laughs> trash her bike and keep running on foot, you right? know? But at the, same time, at the same time, it's the 70s. I could see them thinking the possibility of her ditching the bike and hitchhiking. It's the 70s. It was right. a common thing. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Still think they're fucking stupid. I, I do too. Yes. So they still weren't very worried. And on the day after Christmas, December 26th, her body was found along the side of Interstate 75 near Big Beaver Road in Troy. And just like Mark, it appeared that she had been taken care of by her killer, which again, there are... These conflicting reports. Yes, but most of them do say that they were taken care of, but then I did have a few that I trust, the sources that I trust that are like, no, there was, there were, they weren't, they were taken care of kind of, but they weren't That the bodies were, at at the very least, the bodies are staged in a way, like with the sleeping, the curled up. (laughs) This is what makes me think those other two cases that you talked about first are not part of the same because the one girl was staged very blatantly, like not like this. Do you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? This is way too different. Yes. Now... So it did appear that she had been taken care of. The only difference was that she sh- she suffered from a 12-gauge shotgun blast to the face. Oh, my God. And it would appear that her fear of being shot would come true. Ugh. Now, see, 
I have a hard time with like psychics and mediums and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of believe in it. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But like part of this, like there's got to be something. How did this girl have such a phobia of being shot? And then that's how she fucking dies. I know. What are the chances? Unless like, because Mark wasn't shot, Mm -mm. which is also kind of, you know, weird. I almost wonder if. Either the killer knew her, knew of her. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like maybe. Or was it just a fucking coincidence? Or that too. Or did she have some like psychic abilities and just like had this. She didn't know what it was, but she was like, this is how I'm going to die. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the fact that Mark was killed in such a different manner. Because yeah. if it's the same killer, I almost feel like he must have known. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like that this was part of the game for him. If it's the same killer. If it's the same killer. There's okay. always, especially with cold cases, yes. just like the Texas killing fields, that there is a big possibility that they might not be the same person. Mm-hmm. But then there is another possibility that it is. So the left side of her head was blown completely off. Oh, God. She was fully clothed and still wearing her backpack. Which is strange because originally they didn't talk about her having a backpack. Right. So. So maybe that leads some, lends some credence to the she ran away away. thing. Exactly. So. Despite her being shot, it appeared that she had died from shock and hemorrhage due to the shotgun blast rather than the actual shotgun wound itself. Aww. Sad. Yeah. And. It's thought that she possibly told her abductor about her fear. So that's what I thought. That is why he specifically chose that Mm -hmm. way to kill her. So whether or not he knew about it ahead of time or if for some reason she maybe it was a hitchhiker. Maybe Mm -hmm. she did decide to hitchhike and they were just like having conversation. And she's like, I have this fear of getting shot, which I think is a strange thing to tell a stranger. But she was 12 and it was the 70s. It was another time. (laughs) You know what I mean? How awful... Do you have to be to shoot a 12-year-old in the face or with in, a shotgun? Exactly. And it's either that, like, she told him, which is probably their way of being like, oh, it wasn't a coincidence. She had to have said something to him. But we never really know what happened. So the change in method was what confused police. And first, it made them unsure if it was the same killer. But there were also no obvious signs that she was molested. Mm-hmm. And, but without her, with no signs of her being raped, I'll use the word raped for you. Yes, thank you. Um, it was said that the killer probably engaged in some sort of sexual act with her, which is still rape because they say that it was probably an oral sex. Ew, yeah. And her body was placed within site of the Troy police station laid out neatly in the snow. The dump site appeared to be chosen deliberately as a taunt by the killer because it could be seen from the police station. Yes. And it was kind of, they, they kind of said it was like, he was almost like daring them to like, here she is. You can see her from where you're at. Come get me. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a cat and mouse trap. He's trying to get them to chase him. Mm-hmm. And, it, her discovery was made by a passing motorist on his way home to share Christmas with his children. And Jesus. again, 
this case was handled very improperly due to the original belief that Jill had been a runaway. They didn't call it didn't get counted as a missing persons. So already the police have fucked up. Mm-hmm. That one may not have been their fault, but I'm mad at the police in this case. So I, the I police fucked up. <laughs> they just didn't do anything right. They didn't. There's nothing in these cases that they did correctly. And that's what pisses me off because I think that had it started with Mark's case, if they would not have fucked up all the evidence, they would, it may not be unsolved today. If they would have done their jobs correctly, they would have had evidence Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't have, the police are in this episode. I'm so sorry, but the police are fucked in this episode. I'm not happy with them. And by the way, there's four episodes total in that Children in the Snow thing that you mentioned. I Is there? At, mm-hmm. Oh. There's a total of four episodes. Well, so. on the Investigation Discovery app that I looked at today, it, there was only two on there. Oh. But they were both like 84 minutes long, so I don't know if they could put oh, two. Oh, maybe. Maybe. So. Or have they have all four aired? I don't know. But or is it, it just you. that two of them have aired and the other two oh, haven't? Oh, that could be That two. might be it. But... Hmm... <laughs> A lot of evidence in her case was lost or accidentally destroyed. I want to know how something was accidentally fucking destroyed. I know. Okay. Yeah, they all aired in February of this year. That's weird. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to go fight Investigation Discovery then. Yeah, you are. Anyway. Sorry. Keep going. (sighs) So, neither the state police crime lab nor the sheriff's police crime lab were called to the scene. Again, they fucked up. Mm-hmm. How do you expect to get any sort of evidence if you don't call these people to the crime scene? Right. I don't what understand What are you that. doing? Yeah. Ho, 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 ho. <sighs> well, and again, we have so many things like that in the 70s that are just, you know, where, again, you you know, you had the, what do I want to say, like the territory, you know, the territorial aspect of law enforcement there was the lack of communication cooperation all those things too yeah. and then yeah just a lot of ignorance about procedures and exactly so jill's father was rightfully so very angry at police for not Good. handling the case correctly yeah. he said they won't respond to what they consider a runaway for 48 hours but she wasn't a runaway she was a kid who got angry and stomped out of the house and got picked up by a creep yeah. And at one point during the investigation her, um, of her death, an officer working the case told her family that he hadn't even read Jill's case file. Oh, my God. I would have... Oh, I would have beat him. So this led the family to believe that the police had just given up on even trying to solve her murder, yeah. which I get, and I would have fucking punched him. Mm-hmm. This is why I'm so angry with the police on this case. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of stuff here that's really troubling. Exactly. And the family says that they still struggle with her death to this day. Well, of course. Um, it's Her mom said, it's the small things that get to you. The hardest thing is when someone asks how many children I have, and I automatically say three. I can't believe now it's only two. Oh. So sad. Yeah. Now we're going to go into our third official victim. Okay. Her name is Kristen Mihalik. I'm going to announce it. That's how I'm going to pronounce it because that looks right. <laughs> so she, her body was found. That's not right. She went missing seven days after Jill Robinson's body was so found. So these, these are so close together, too, which is really creepy yes. and terrifying. So, Christine, I, did I say Christy? 
Christine, Christine Mahalik. On January 2nd, 1977, the 10-year-old was kidnapped. She was abducted as she walked in broad daylight to a local store in Berkeley, Michigan. Her mom, Deborah, says that she relives that afternoon all the time. She said that Christine was bored, so she asked if she could go to the store to get a magazine. (laughs) And it says that she wasn't usually allowed to cross 12 mile road but she had gone shopping for her earlier so she decided to let her go and she explained that she waited and waited and she told her to hurry but she she, didn't come home she never came home so her mother called police when Christine failed to return home in half an hour. Ugh. So she is a little more on top of things. She's a little more kind of like not, she doesn't, she's more weary about one letting her even go because she doesn't want to cross this. I'm assuming very busy road because with it being 12, 12 mile road, it makes me think of uh 10 mile in Boise. And I know that that's a very busy, busy place. So, she so she called the police in half an hour after of her course. daughter didn't return and they gave her the runaround and said you had to wait 48 hours she's a runaway for 19 days they kept around the clock vigil at her home oh okay now she her mom went on the television she went on tv okay. did a media press was like i want my daughter if you have her please give her back they finally did something right. Okay. Well, and of course, after two deaths back to back like they Yeah, had. you would think that a week after they find one body and another girl goes missing that yeah. they would finally fucking learn to do their damn jobs. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> she, her mom goes on and does a press release and she ends up gaining 30 pounds because she's stress eating. Of course. And her neighbors, now this is great. Her neighbors helped her raise $17,000 because they weren't sure if her captor was going to try to give her back for a ransom. Wow. And that was a lot of money in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And friends had offered to mortgage their houses to help her out. So like this community helped her so much. But... None of it would really matter because on January 21st, 1977, her body was found on Bruce Lane in Franklin Village, Michigan. Her body had been found by a postman who drove down the dead end road. He saw something on the side of the road, so he decided to pull over and check it out, which me. Yeah. (laughs) If I see something weird on the side of the road, I'm going to pull over and I'm going to figure out what it is. Yeah. And so he pulled over and... He said that he often liked to pick up junk items that people would throw out. And he kind of a hoarder, I guess. Mm -hmm. So he's like, ooh, something cool. Pulls over. Not something cool. No. He said he stepped in some footprints and came across her body. Now, the problem with this is he stepped in someone else's footprints. He just ruined evidence. Evidence. Or at least potential evidence. He, not his fault. I get it. But... Come on! Yeah. And not the police screwing up this exactly. time. So, I'm, I mean, it's still hard because right. you know that even if it wasn't the killers, that they could have taken it for evidence. And it could have been 
the changing factor right. of whether or not they caught this dude. So he walked in someone else's footprints. He found her body. And at the scene, well, okay, so he found her body and immediately ran back to his car, called the police. And then at the scene, it was noted that the killer had driven down the road, possibly not knowing it was dead end. Okay. Which is a little strange because I feel like the rest of these were placed very meticulously. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he should have, he would have known that this was a dead end road if he was being so meticulous about right. all of the body placements. Yeah. So that's a little strange. Mm-hmm. And it was also said that he had to like back up and turn the car around. So there were car marks, which is good. Because evidence, anything right. at this point of, is evidence. And it also really sucks because it, it's not specified directly with this case, but I feel like it's harder almost in the winter with these kinds of cases because at any time that snow could start falling and you're going to lose everything. Right. Or it can melt partially, refreeze, and that mm-hmm. totally changes the way the prints and exactly. things look. So it... I forgot where I was. So they, the dead end. And yep. All that. So he turned around his car and he, the snowbank had been pushed over by like a car bumper. So there are, again, the police are doing something good at this mm-hmm. point. It, so far, nobody's moved the body. So <laughs> we're at least progressing mm-hmm. a little bit. And her body was placed carefully in the snowbank and her arms had been crossed after death so it's like he laid her down and crossed her arms across her chest so again there's this very careful positioning exactly and the it said that the body had been carried from the car in a almost in a way that a parent would carry a child like a sleeping child out of a car and like one arm under their head and one arm under their legs you know what i mean and So she was placed very carefully. Her body was tucked with snow and then patted down. So it was like she was blanketed in snow. And there were obvious handprints in the snow. Okay. Which I've already said it's a cold case. So what seems like good positive things clearly have no sort of... Haven't helped. They Exactly. They haven't done anything. So... It was also thought that the street may have been chosen again to be for the killer to taunt people, taunt the police or the family or anybody at this point. And, or it was an attempt to establish contact with somebody in the investigation. Mm -hmm. So at the time, Dr. Bruce Danto, who was a, uh, we've talked about him in a previous case. He was the, psychologist or the psychiatrist that had gotten involved with the Oakland County child killer case. He was often doing interviews with local newspapers about his thoughts and opinions on the killer. Now I think that was a terrible idea. I think that is something that needs to be done in private with the local police. I don't know why the FBI haven't gotten involved in this yet, Mm -hmm. but I think that needs to be done privately. So the police know what they're looking for, not publicly. So if the killer is watching it, they can change their actions. Right. So I think yeah. this whole thing is stupid. Is not handled very it is well. Not. You're giving too much evidence to the killer. Exactly. Yeah. Normally when police should be keeping a lot of this to their chest, they are putting everything out there. Okay. And I don't think that's a smart idea. And again, you're comment about the FBI. Again, 
you know, that terror, there was that territorial thing. And no, this is our case because it happened in our jurisdiction. And a lot of that has changed radically. Mm -hmm. So we don't, we don't operate under those same things anymore. Exactly. So he said that it was believed that the killer may have wanted to establish contact with him somehow. I feel like that's a little arrogant. Sorry. Mm -hmm. But like, why is a psychologist who is helping the police, why are you like, I think he wanted to like get a hold of me? Like, I feel like that's arrogant and his ego's a little too big. And that could be a big part of that. But, which may also be why the FBI didn't get involved mm-hmm. because they're like, no, we're big guys around here. Mm-hmm. Ugh, fucking cops. <laughs> In this case, I'm so mad at them. I can't. <sighs> anyway, so he said it was believed that he wanted, that the killer wanted to establish contact with him somehow by dumping the third confirmed victim. I don't understand why he thought that, but Christine's body had been found on a street called Bruce Lane, which is why he thought because his first name was Bruce, that there was some sort of like connection there. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Dumbass. Anyway. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. It it just doesn't make sense. Ego. I think that's what that Mm -hmm. was. Now it was determined that Christine had been smothered somehow by her killer, but we don't know how. Like the first victim, yes, either except the smothering or the strangulation. Some came. sort of asphyxiation okay. is how they died. Now, numerous ways have been suggested. Did we say how the third girl died? I'm sorry. I this don't... is the third one. Oh, okay. So okay. Mark was strangled or smothered. Uh-huh. Then the Jill Robinson was shot. was shot, and now Christine is our third victim, and she was also smothered. Smothered. Okay. Yes. So a couple of suggestions were that there was a, uh, a pillow over the face, which is an, fairly common in the horror movies of mm-hmm. smothering people, a bag over her head, also a common thing in the horror movies, or possibly by pinching her nose shut and covering her mouth, which I think is a terror. I mean, getting smothered to death is a terrible thing in the first place, but actually like physically squeezing their nose and covering their mouth is just horrifying. Now, although there were no obvious signs of rape it is thought that the killer likely engaged in some in some sort of sexual activity with her an early test on her body indicated no sign of penetration of either of her orifices i guess in her vagina or her butt i'm sorry Mm -hmm. there was no other way to put that i didn't know you know what i mean yeah but so it there was no sign of penetration but they did detect semen so yes now there was a second test done and on the second test there was no semen found so i don't know if police are fucking up again or why there was semen in one and not semen in in the other i don't know maybe it was just a faulty test who knows but like the two victims previously she had been washed and redressed again there are conflicting stories but this is what we're gonna go with Mm -hmm. so she was washed and redressed her clothes were cleaned and washed and after her death the police finally are going to try to do something right and they form (laughs) they form a task force to investigate the babysitter murders is what it was called at the time now one of the first things that they did as this task force was they were going to stake out Christine's funeral. Okay. Now there, I have two things for this one. I think it's kind of a good idea. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it happens a lot in a lot of cases. Exactly. And so one part of my, part of me thinks this is a great idea because 
like with Marks, where they did have the funeral card mm-hmm. left where his body was found. So they think that maybe the, the killer had shown up. So like this is a good idea. But then I think about it from a mother's perspective. As a mom myself, I want to be able to take this time to mourn my child. I do not want to be surrounded by cops. Oh, I see, I, I'm going to disagree with you. Because if my baby's been murdered, you can bet your... what I'm going to do whatever the hell it takes yeah. to catch the mofo who did that to my yeah, baby. I, I don't care right. what it is. I guess you're right. Like, I really don't. I can don't. mourn in private. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. I honestly don't know if... I don't know if no, I'm not gonna say that. I don't know this. I don't okay. Know. I was gonna. I was gonna say I don't know if I would even have a funeral at that point until further in the investigation whether yeah, or not I know yeah. anything. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. yeah but I at the same time, too. if they are thinking that he's going to the funerals, maybe mm-hmm. this is a good idea. I don't know. There's a lot of things. These are one of the things that you never know what you would do until you're actually in and that that's, situation. That is true too. And that's why in a lot of cases, I'm going to go off on a side note here for a second. That's why in a lot of cases I have a hard time when people talk about how family members act when, when they're like, Oh, they didn't act like somebody whose daughter had just died. Exactly. Or, so right. if you think like, let's grief, talk about grief takes a lot of different forms. What is her name? I believe her mate. Amanda Knox? Is yes, that the girl yes. who her roommate was, was killed? killed in Italy? And they were talking about the way she acted in her uh, mm-hmm. interrogations and in the police station and all of these. Like, mm-hmm. She didn't act right. Mm-hmm. But, like, first of all, it was her roommate, not like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and there's evidence that they weren't even that close. They just happened to be roommate. You know, that's different, too. Do you exactly. Know what I mean? I'm sorry, I lived in a sorority, and if some of them had been murdered, I probably wouldn't have mourned too deeply either. Exactly. So it's hard for me when they talk about these cases about way, the way that suspects acted during these times Mm -hmm. but in reality everybody's going to mourn and cope differently so there's no i think it's wrong for people to whether like put people in a suspect placement because of the way yeah or or you can't you just can't create this little box called mourning and Mm -hmm. that's what everybody has to fit in exactly so i have a problem with that but that has nothing to do with this case so back to this (laughs) so they did end up making this task force they staked uh, they decided to stake out her funeral. Um, they ran the plates of every single car that showed up to her funeral. Wow. So now we've got, this is like some real police work. Yes. Okay. They are doing something correct, mm-hmm. which I'm still, it still Finally. does not excuse the last two cases of them doing absolute jack shit. Still mad about it, but they're trying to fix things, which doesn't really count because this is the third fucking victim. <laughs> uh. I'm mad. Anyway, so they did run every single plate that had come through, and one person got past them without being identified. They were later found, and the man was cleared. So, again, they're doing a little bit of good police work. Right. Not too mad about it right now. (laughs) So... Her mom hasn't discussed, hadn't discussed her death with her younger children for a long time because I feel like that would be hard. Oh anyway. God, I know. Yeah. Can you imagine? She said, I feel like if they really want to know, they'll ask. And I'm sure it's the child. They're like, mom doesn't want to talk about it. And I'm not asking about mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? It's right. kind of just like a mutual respect thing where it's like, maybe I do want to know, but like, I don't want to ask about it because I know it's a fucked up thing that mm-hmm. happened. Who knows? So she... She resisted seeing a psychiatrist, which I think is the wrong way to go in this situation. Um, she lost most of the weight that she gained because I did say she thought she gained 30 pounds from mm-hmm. binge eating. 
Um, so she did lose most of that weight and somehow kept working. She was a waitress in a bowling alley at the time. Um, but she said that she felt like she was living in hell, which, duh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you were. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, that is living in hell. She said that her one consolation was a strange comfort was that she Christi- Christine was really a joy. This is why whoever took her kept her for so long. He was enjoying her company. At least this is what we've told ourselves, and I prefer not to think anything different. Which is sad. Yeah, so sad. So now we are on to our final confirmed victim, and holy cannoli, we are at almost an hour. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> so, with at least three murders that they are convinced were committed by the same person, the entire state of Michigan is now in a full panic mode. And there was no real hard evidence in any of these cases. Well, there probably was in the first two, but police didn't do jack shit, so they didn't have any evidence. So at this point, they really don't have any evidence. And the killer was still out there somewhere. And everyone knew he was going to strike again. There was no way that he took and killed three children in such a short time span that he was just going to stop. Okay. Yeah. There's something weird here. And also Mm -hmm. the fact it's hard for me to believe that he just started here. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's some buildup here and there's something else missing. Mm -hmm. Now, stranger danger at this point now is at like an all time high. Yes. And which is smart. Stranger dangers. a a good thing to live by now in one instance a man stopped and asked some kids for direction in his car and a man came up and attacked him thinking that the man in the car was the killer okay so uh, people are trying to be vigilant which is sometimes appreciated sometimes like this man probably did not appreciate that at Mm -hmm. all but i would hope that he would at least understand a little bit you know what i mean Mm mm-hmm and on March 16th, 1977, everything continued oh. with a little boy named Timmy King. Oh. Timmy King was 11 years old. He was the youngest of four children. He had two brothers and a sister. And he left home alone. He was, he was left home alone since his two brothers were busy and his sister had a date. His parents had gone out dining with a new client from his dad's law firm, and they were sure that 11-year-old Timmy would be fine by himself. They weren't going far. They weren't going to be gone for very long, and his mom said since he had sat for other children, and then he babysat for other kids, so mm-hmm. he'd be fine by himself. I feel like that's a logical thing to think about. Yes. If, if somebody else is, is able to, to take care of another child, mm-hmm. I feel like they should be okay taking care of themselves. Yes. So she's, so she said since he had babysat for other children in the neighborhood, we decided he could take care of himself. We weren't going very far. And that was at about 7.30 at night, Tim decided that he wanted to go get some candy from a local drugstore. It uh-huh. was three blocks from his house. And he borrowed 20 cents from his older sister right before she was about to leave. Okay. And he told her to leave the front door partway open for him. Then he left his home, 
skateboard in hand to buy candy at the drugstore nearby. And at about 8.30 p.m., he left the store by the back entrance, which was open. It had, like, an open parking lot. And it was said it shared a parking lot with a supermarket. Okay. And it said it was said that as he was standing in the parking lot of the drugstore, two witnesses saw him be approached by a man with long, shaggy, dark hair and sideburns. Which it's the fucking seventies. That is right. every yeah. fucking man <laughs> in America. Worst description ever. ever. But <laughs> it's hard. I, I have so much <laughs> anger with this. I can tell. So. It said it was said that the man was standing near what one of the witnesses thought to be a blue gremlin, which okay. is a car. They're yeah. actually pretty cool looking cars. <laughs> and they have a great name. Yeah. So it was thought to be standing by a blue gremlin with a white racing stripe down the side of it. And this was the last time anyone saw Tim alive. Okay. And all of Oakland County, again, very soon was in a panic. All of Michigan at this point is in a panic, but Oakland County for sure, because now right. they've got another victim. victim. number four. Exactly. They felt like they had to get Timmy back before it was too late. And although it was at the time it wasn't confirmed that he had been taken by the Oakland County child killer, they knew that if it was, Tim might still be alive if they found him on time, because the rest of our victims were held for, for a, a period of time before they were killed and dumped. And it also was stated that all of them were held for a long period of time, then killed and dumped shortly after they were killed. Which is very unusual act Normally, to, to be kept like that. Yes. So especially if they're dumped so quickly after being killed. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's also an abnormal thing. Yes. So it took <sighs> It took two days before police started releasing information on the abductor. And after that, they made up a legal document to show drivers requesting to search the cars of their trunks. So they would like set up, they set Uh up like roadblocks so that everybody who was going through the roadblock, they were stopping and they were searching their, they were searching their cars. So they set up the roadblocks, they were searching cars, but on this document, it did state that if they found anything else in the car, drugs, firearm, they would not be arrested. Oh, wow. It's this, smart move. At this yeah. point, they just want to find this little boy. This little boy. Yes. So no one refused to let the police search their cars, which clearly I feel like at that point, if you don't have a kid in your trunk, right. search. Yeah. You yeah. can find whatever you want because yeah. they're not going to arrest you. So, but neither Tim nor his abductor were located. Now, early on, a ransom had been called in. So there was a ransom note found, in, or a ransom that was called in. Okay. And this gave brief hope that maybe Tim would be found alive. I feel like it's a hoax. It was very soon proved to be a hoax. Now, his father, Barry, spoke to his son through a press interview hoping that he would see it because you know that families usually do this. He said, we love you. If you miss little league tryouts tomorrow, Mr. Ryder said you could try out next week. Oh, that just breaks my heart. And his mother wrote an open letter to the killer on the front page of the Detroit news. 
And while Tim was missing, his parents addressed the killer and their son on a new show. They went and they did everything that everything they could. Everything they could. Yeah. They said that when Tim comes home, they'd serve him his favorite meal of KFC. And it's also that trying to humanize mm-hmm. the victim, getting the perpetrator to realize. Yes. Hey, yeah. Yes. Ugh. Then, six days after his disappearance, in the late evening hours of March 22nd, 1977, two teenagers in a car spotted his body in a shallow ditch along Gill Road, about 300 feet from 8 Mile and just across the county line in Wayne County. His prized skateboard was placed neatly next to his body. His clothing had been neatly pressed and washed. He had been suffocated and sexually assaulted, and it had appeared that Tim's hands and feet may have been bound. Some suggested that he was either suffocated with a pillow or a plastic bag. So again, (laughs) the only different, the only victim with a different was, and I'm sitting here, you know, I almost wonder if she wasn't smothered and then he shot her or do you know what I mean? Like there's just something he knew that that was her fear. Mm-hmm. It came out somehow, whether he knew her prior because it sounds like, you know, like you said, she talked about it or whatever, mm-hmm. or it came out before he killed her in some way. Do you know what I mean? Like this? Yeah. There's something just something incredibly awful. Yeah. And all of he had been washed cleaned fixed up and uh, the crime scene police found something that really angered them now first of all this is your fourth victim everything should anger you exactly sorry right like i'm fucking pissed over here um and it in they've okay lost it so in (laughs) some some accounts it was said that they supposedly found a chicken bone in his pocket or another funeral funeral card from one of the past victims or even possibly both. Now, I don't know if they like kind of like threw this out there mm-hmm. and then it was something that they like, like you said, put Again. the media to see what was true and what wasn't if somebody ended up confessing or talking about it. Right. But it it is strange because they they believe... Now, what made them angry, first of all, with the chicken bone, Mm -hmm. is that they think that he saw this news thing of their family because he said that if they they return home, they're going to feed him KFC because it's his favorite meal. Oh, my God. So, you know, it's weird. Like, you're you're so carefully staging the bodies in this quote-unquote nurturing ways, way, but also doing these dick moves at the same time and and, and, and there's obviously some torture involved before mm-hmm. you kill them and like there's something just ugh, just yeah yes. so incredibly awful here now they also said that his body was still warm when they found oh him. my gosh and they tried to revive him at the scene but it was too late to save him so this means that First of all, he was still warm, and this was in March in Michigan, so I assume it's still cold. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So with him still being warm out in the middle of nowhere in a ditch in March, mm-hmm. I feel like that means that they barely missed that killer. Yeah. Especially if they... And now it's also not stated, if it is true that they were found cleaned 
bathed, their clothes cleaned and everything. Were they bathed and cleaned before they were killed? I would assume not because if they are being smothered, you would assume that there is some sort of clawing defense, self-defense something, which means they're going to have DNA, which means that he would have had to kill them and then bathe them. And with him still being warm, that means that he killed, bathed, washed the clothes, did all of this stuff very quickly and then dumped his body. Right. This is very short time span. Mm-hmm. And this pissed the police off. Right. Obviously, if you got there and he's still warm, you think there was a chance that you could have saved him and they didn't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They couldn't. But so it was too late. They weren't able to save him, even though they did try. And in the process of this, you want to guess what happened? Ah, uh, no. The dump site was contaminated and oh all of the evidence God. was fucking destroyed. And it was that new. What happened? With them trying to revive him, they jumped in there. You can't fuck. Which it's hard because they wanted to save him. Right. Yeah. But at the same, I don't, you can't. You can't blame him for this one. You just can't. I know. So, but, positive note, even though the entire crime scene had been contaminated, they did manage to recover a single human hair from the scene. Okay. But it's unknown if it belongs to the killer or if it belongs to somebody else who jumped in. To one of the rescue people. Exactly. Because they didn't even have the DNA is not a thing at this time. So. So... They say it's very likely that it belonged to a paramedic or the cop that was or a cop that was at the scene. And his it Timmy's autopsy, they found something else that seemed to be the killer taunting them. It appeared that his last meal had been KFC. So it was So it appeared that he had seen the news of news course report they had, and yeah. he fed him kfc because it was his favorite now my thing is i'm trying to i'm, I'm gonna kind of jump the fence a little bit and play a strange card that came comes to my mind is this the killer trying to taunt the police and the family or is this one of the reasons that he keeps them for so long is because he genuinely maybe this the killing is an urge that he it, maybe it's a, it's, it's a mind thing and he physically cannot control himself when it comes to killing them. But when he has them, he enjoys their company and he doesn't want to kill them, but he, and for some reason in his mind has no, to, and he no, is being no, because kind. we've got ligature marks. We've got the, the smothering, which is a horrific way. Like I said, the shooting of the girl, the second victim was definitely part of this very perverse MO of ha ha. I know things about, these kids there's nothing nothing good here well i'm sorry there's not and i don't know if you notice this but i noticed this the only two that seemed to have been bound in any way were the two boys yeah, that's interesting yeah the two girls were not were bound. they it didn't say that they were bound and had ligature marks on their arms and ankles so maybe the you know the boys fight more or whatever yeah but I, I, yeah, I, I, there's nothing good about this, Kaylin. Like, I don't care what, you know, maybe in his own sick, twisted mind or whatever. Yeah. And you know what I've also been thinking? Hmm. Maybe there's two. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's one that's doing some of the, the more horrible stuff. And the second one is the one who gets rid of the bodies and 
feels has more guilt about it. Okay, so what goes through my mind is more of like a multiple personality thing, where they have one one of their personalities. I think I saw. I don't remember where why this. Mm-hmm. I don't know why this came to my mind, but they. I think I saw it in an. It was like a, a Criminal Minds thing, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Criminal Minds is although crap, you know but. again that. That is a very controversial thing. There's a lot of people in the psychiatric community that who don't, don't believe that. Yeah, thing. who don't even believe it exists. Yeah, but let's so. say it was like a multiple personality where you've got this like Jekyll and Hyde type thing. You've got the rage monster who kidnaps them, and then oh, we change into this other person. You well, know they what? Keep them you don't named- even need to have multiple personalities though. This this is the cycle of abuse. I mean, we all know that, right? You know, yeah. this is this is the guy that beats the shit out of his wife and then brings her roses in the hospital. Yeah, I mean it. It is all part of that same mentality. There's no split, or do you know what I'm yeah. saying? It just that's who these people are. <laughs> I would also like to say that I, in no way, am trying to like sympathize or empathize with this killer. He is a monster, yeah. and he did some terrible fucking da- things. I'm just trying to kind of like get a feel of the yeah. whole thing. All possibilities. So, do they have any theories about why it stopped? We will get there. Okay. So. There was a police report that said that his body was found face down, but that was absolutely not true, or they probably would not have put him in with this group because that was one of the things was that he was getting... Yeah, the the posing. The gentleness of it. Now, there are a couple of more possible victims, and this goes a little further into... We're talking about getting into, like, the 90s. Okay. So... One of them is 13-year-old Jane Allen. She was abducted on August 8th, 1976, while she was hitchhiking from Pontiac to Royal Oak. Her body was found on August 11th, three days later, floating in the greater Miami River in Miamisburg, Ohio. Now, this is strange because it's a different place, which is probably why she... And also the body's thrown into a river. Exactly. Her wrist had been bound behind her, with torn straps from like a t-shirt and they were knotted together her body at this point when they found her which is strange that she was found three days after she was abducted but her body was very badly decomposed okay but the water and the heat yeah you know would have yeah step things up so so she wasn't kept there's not that i'm so, like i don't understand why they're making these leaps here like the first two victims that you said don't seem to have anything to do with this this obviously is so out there mm-hmm. like where are they making these connections so because her body was so badly decomposed they were not able to tell if she had been sexually assaulted in any way Due to the, but again, yeah. so what? I mean, so, there's, what's the where's where's anything about this other than oh she was murdered that has anything to do with these other cases? Exactly, it's it's not specified. It said that she may have possibly been dead before being pushed into the river, and clearly, and that she may have died from carbon monoxide poisoning, which again is not again, the same. What the hell? Okay, just stop this because it's pissing me <laughs> off. Like it's stupid. So. This is still really bad police work if they're trying to claim these have anything to do. Now, then we have another one who is 12-year-old Kimberly King, who is 
in no relation to Timothy King, who was a for sure victim. She disappeared September 16th, 1979 while walking near her neighborhood, but she was never located. I think this is just them being like, if, if it was the same killer, they would have found her because that's part of his big thing is is them finding the bodies, the dump sites, the way he dumps them. Exactly. Now this one, this one, this one pisses me off, but I'm going to say it anyway, but so far, these two, there's no way that they would be connected. No. So what What the hell? Like I said, this is making no sense to me. I know. But this is just... go. I'm just going off reports that I found, okay? Okay. But this one pisses me off. You and I have talked a little bit about this case, although you don't know anything about it. Okay. So a couple of weeks ago, we were in Ohio. Yes. And... That was the case that we cheated because you did a lot of the research, the (laughs) note writing for me. And then when we had stopped recording, you and I started talking about a case of a missing little girl. Yes. Now, this little girl, at the time, I forgot that it had happened in Ohio and I was super mad at myself that I chose a different case versus this case. But this case is pretty widely known. And for some reason, I don't understand why they have her listed as a possible suspect or not suspect. So sorry, possible victim. (laughs) Now this would be 10 year old Amy Maholovic. Now, if anybody knows anything about the Amy Maholovic case, it is devastating, but I don't understand at all why they list her as a possible victim. First of all, so she was kidnapped. Sorry. She was kidnapped on October 27th, 1989, her body was found on February 8th, 1990, and it was thought that this murder might be related to the older Oakland County child killings and may be connected to other child murders in Ohio in the early 80s. Um, and in 1981, Tina Harmon was abducted and murdered and in the golden nutmeg colored carpet that was found on her body as well as two other cases. It's strange because they have all of these cases that seem to be connected, but not connected to the Oakland County child killers. So I don't know why in any cases they put them together. I don't either. This is making no sense to me. It's like, okay, they're kids, they're dead. So we're just going to group them all together. So the only reason I even bring them up, because it seems even though I don't believe it, it was like, why would you bring them up in the first place? Yeah. Because I want other people to know that like oh you look these things up and it says this they're not always true right there's no way in hell that these cases are connected to the oakland county child killer also while we're talking about amy maholovic if you don't know anything about it look it up it's sad there is a fantastic um mini series on investigation discovery about her missing persons case and it is devastating and it's unsolved yeah yes yes no yes but devastating okay now so now we are going to talk about suspects and persons of interest okay it's about damn time i know this is definitely going to be a two-parter because we are already over an hour in so i'm probably going to have to split this into two so sorry about it but a few weeks after the death of timothy king the Detroit psychiatrist Bruce Danto, who worked with the task force, received a poorly spelled guilt-written letter. And the letter writer identified himself as Alan. And he claimed that he was a sadomasochist slave of his roommate, Frank, who 
was the Oakland County child killer. Allen wrote pleading and fearful and remorseful in his letter saying that he was losing his sanity and he was endangered and it's suicidal. And he supposedly convinced psychiatrist Bruce Danto that it was genuine. Okay. Now, Alan wrote that he accompanied Frank on many road trips seeking boys, but he was never present during any abductions for the boys that Frank had murdered. Alan confirmed that Frank drove a blue gremlin and that Frank junked it out in Ohio and was never seen again. Okay. Alan also said that Frank was traumatized by killing children in the Vietnam War and he that he and Alan had both served in together and he was taking revenge on more aff, uh, affluent 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 is that right affluent sure uh-huh. um that he was taking revenge on citizens such as residents of Birmingham um Alan also wrote that Frank wanted rich people to suffer for sending forces to Vietnam and received nothing in return yeah, but he didn't target rich people. No, he did so not. So again, like, this kind of stuff is just pissing me off because, like, you, I don't know why your case is, like, getting under my skin so much because, but it just seems like people are just pulling shit out of the air. Like, none, they have no facts or logic to this. Now, this also puts me in the mindset that this Bruce Danto, his fucking ego is so big and he's so fucking big-headed, and he thinks he's on top of the world. Well, and he's and also an idiot and doesn't know what the hell he's idiot. talking exactly. about. So, Alan instructed Bruce Danto to respond by printing the code words, Weather Bureau says trees bloom in three weeks. And he wanted that published in Sunday's Free Press edition. Soon after, Danto got a phone call from Alan, who offered to provide photo evidence in exchange for a letter from Michigan governor, William McKillen Milliken Milliken. My bad. I don't know. And so he wanted a letter from the mission, uh, the governor of Michigan guaranteeing immunity from prosecution. Uh huh. And Bruce Danto arranged a meeting with Allen at a bar called the pony cart bar near Detroit's Palmer woods neighborhood. But Alan did not show and he was never heard from again. Now, then we have another suspect, Archibald Edward Sloan. He was a known pedophile who was who victimized young boys in the neighborhood. Again, we have a problem with this because they were boys and, and girls. girls. But he became a person of, person of interest when hair samples found in his 1966 Pontiac uh, Bonneville matched a hair found on the bodies of Timothy King and Mark Stebbins. Now, my problem here is if it was so much pushed into the press that all of these victims' bodies were washed, cleaned of any evidence, their clothes were cleaned and pressed, how the fuck did they supposedly find hair? Right. That's my problem. So this is why there are such big contradicting factors. Plus, I think hair identification is one of those that it's not all you know what i mean like there's a lot of hair out there that looks similar like i don't know how valid Mm -hmm. this is so um the hair samples only matched hair found on the bodies of timothy king and mark stebbins not our two female victims 
And it was also said that Archibald would often lend his car to his pedophile friends. Ew. So if it wasn't him, it could have been somebody else. But that was kind of the end of that. Yeah. Now, this one, I'm going to say his name. We're not going to talk about him. He's listed as a possible suspect, but I'm not even going to fucking go into it because there's no way in hell it was fucking him. Okay. John Wayne Gacy. Not uh, fucking no, him. No, no. One him. This is stupid. People yeah. are dumb. Okay. Anyway, John Wayne Gacy, for those of you who don't Plus, know. Plus, there was none of the, you know, staging of the bodies and the, like. He hid them in his fucking yeah, crawl space. Yeah. This was not a John Wayne no. Gacy thing. And he got off on the torture and the being brutal. Exactly. And, and only boys. Exactly. So, our next one, his name is Theodore Lamborghini. <laughs> Police in Parma Heights, Ohio, arrested uh, Theodore. He was a retired auto worker who believed to have been involved in a child porn ring in the 1970s. And on March 27, 2007, investigators told Detroit television station WXYZ that Theodore Lamborghini was considered the top suspect in the case. He pled guilty to 15 sex-related counts involving young boys rather than accept the plea bargain that would have required him to take a polygraph test for the Oakland County child killers. And again, I... <sighs> Polygraphs are bullshit. Yeah. Sorry. But it is a little suspicious for somebody to deny it. But mm -hmm. this was in 2007. I don't know when they started saying that polygraphs are, like, not a science. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know, but it does kind of look a little suspicious yeah. if you take a certain plea so that you don't have to do a polygraph about this case. Looks a little weird. But again, why would you only kill four of them and not the others? And it's 2007. Mm -hmm. and like, I... Huh. This is so frustrating. So this... This man was seen so much as a... Now, he was such, they, like, he was, to them, almost a concrete suspect. Like, he was the dude. The Lamborghini lot, dude? Yes. Okay. In a lot of their minds, he was the dude. So much so that in October of 2007, Mark Stebbins' family uh -huh. filed a, long, a wrongful death lawsuit against him seeking $25,000. The lawsuit alleges that... Theodore Lamborghini, who lived in Metro Detroit in the late 70s, abducted Mark, held him captive at um, or in a Royal Oak house for four days in February. Okay, did this dude kill anybody else? Well, it doesn't really say specifically about him killing. We just know that he was he pled guilty to 15 sex related counts involving young boys. So he had the, he didn't. Yes. OK, or they would have charged him with that. So why the hell would you kill four people and then just stop? No. Not the guy. Move on. So next we have Ugh. Chris Bush. This whole thing is pissing me off more than you know. My I'm... rage is returning. So the case sparked new interest when Timothy, when Timothy King's father, Barry, and his brother, Chris, tried to get the Michigan State Police to release information about Chris Bush, the son of Harold, Harold Lee Bush, a high-level... Uh, GM exec. Okay. Now, Chris Bush had been in police custody shortly before Timmy's abduction for suspected involvement in child pornography. He allegedly committed suicide in November of 1978. There was a 
there was no gunshot residue found on him though and no blood spatter whatsoever he actually though just the fact that he committed suicide or died in 78 is the most viable out of everybody you've listed because whoever this dude is he died or he moved somewhere else and kept doing the same shit no there's no way you do something this highly ritualized and you just stop he did so the problem with this is because it is said that he committed suicide but there was no gunshot residue on him at all so somebody there killed was him for no being a pedophile spatter. and you know whatever there were four shell casings found in his room and he was found wrapped neatly under his sheets but they called it a suicide well again this whole case everything associated with it i'm so pissed off by now i don't care yes there was one bullet hole between his eyes, no blood, and no blood-stained ligatures were found. But there were four shells? Oh, yeah, okay. Yep. Um, there was a hand-drawn image of a boy closely resembling Mark Stebbins screaming in agony, and that was found pinned on the wall where, um, where this man was found dead. Okay. Now... There was no confirmation, there was no confirmed activity of the Oakland County child killer since his death. So this is why they believe that it could have been him. Duh. Yeah. So police reports obtained by Ken King included new revelations, including DNA testings of new suspects, a sketch found at the scene of the Bush suicide home of the boy that resembled Mark Stebbins. And a bloody rope was also found at the scene of his suicide. And he, Catherine Broad, who was the sister of Timothy King, compiled an archive of investigation material as the case grew. So like his family, I feel like Timothy King's family did the most out of any of the victims' families, which I mean, I'm not going to fault anything, any of them because like they lost their child in a brutal way. But Timothy King's family did go way above and way beyond. They did all of the media interviews. They went on every TV show that would let them. They tried their hardest. His sister, again, compiled an archive of investigation stuff to, like, try to help. And upon researching the case records, the King family produced a documentary entitled... Decades of Deceit. The documentary condemns the investigators and the prosecutors for allegedly shoddy investigations and uncooperative communication, and in particular, of disregarding leads that the King family discovered in 2006. Now, thank you fucking people. I've been saying this since the beginning. These policemen did not do their jobs, even though in Timothy's case, they did their jobs the most, mm -hmm. but still didn't do any good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And thank God for this family who finally called them out and was like, you didn't fucking do your job. This is a reason why there's four dead. Yes. Good for you. Good for this family. Yes. Piss me off. Well, this whole case yeah. has pissed me off beyond measure. Now, funds generated from the sale of the documentary were donated to the Tim King Fund, designated to help abuse children and support child activities for Birmingham, for Birmingham children. This family is the bomb. They did great things. Yes. They took their son's tragic death and they did everything positive they could with it. Good for them. Now, we have forensic DNA tests that were conducted in 2012 that showed um, hair that was found on the seat of 
uh, Archibald Sloan's Pontiac Bonneville and on the bodies of Mark Stebbins and Timothy King were a match and came back to the same unknown man. We talked okay. about this already. This was in 2012. Okay. But they did not match Archibald Sloan. Mm-hmm. But that's when they found out that he lent his cars to his pedophile friends. In 2013, an anonymous informant reported a blue gremlin buried in a farm field that's now being developed in Grand Blanc. Police are investigating the gremlin for ties to the crime. To the crime is Timothy King was last seen at a. With, How about the dude, dude who so so you know supposedly committed suicide? Did he ever own a blue gremlin? I don't know. Okay. Now, in 2005, an unidentified man who would later emerge to become a common figure in the case and has been referred to by the alias of Jeff was reminded of a relationship he had in 1977 with an acquaintance. In an interview given to the Oakland County investigators in 2010, Jeff told them of these weird observations and actions that that happened while driving in conversing with this specific acquaintance, such as taking him to buildings where satanic rituals were supposedly performed and that his acquaintance navigated through lesser known routes associated with the case. And he was said that he knew these routes very well and it was kind of done with a lot of ease. Okay. The acquaintance also spoke of details written in quote, Alan's letter mm-hmm. and Jeff requested information about Alan's letter to help confirm his suspicions. Okay. But of course the police denied that. And in 2010, Jeff gave a recorded interview to the Oakland County investigators and prosecutor Jessica Cooper to present evidence pertaining to the investigation. Jeff claimed to have tried to approach her with his findings and convince her that, um, convince her to place the case under the jurisdiction of the department of justice to expedite the case. Okay. Um, the department was already involved as the FBI investigators were going through databases to try to help this. Um, prosecutor Jessica Cooper dismissed his suggestion as there was no new evidence presented and his request, his request to inspect the Allen letter was also denied. And she just, she was just, it was just fucking weird. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So he then, Jeff proceeded to correspond with Deborah, who was the victim or who was the mother of victim Christine. And he, they invest. He, okay. So he, sorry. I read my my notes wrong. Okay. So he corresponded with her mother and also corresponded with investigative journalist Bill Proctor and Heather Catalo in 2010. He claimed that he was among a team of a dozen investigators involved with the case. So this Jeff fellow is strange. There's a lot of weird things. There's the weird things that he had this like acquaintance that showed him all of these places. There was something about the Allen letter, which is also very strange. And then you've got him trying to put himself with the prosecutor and with the investigators. And now he's saying that he's an investigator. There's something very off about this man. Okay. But it seems that nothing would have come from this. And then we've got 
It says Archibald Sloan, who the father of Timothy King, announced his documentary series, which we've talked about. And there was new DNA technology, blah, 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 blah. None of it was his, so he's just kind of gone. Now I'm just repeating things, which is annoying. But (laughs) I didn't realize I had written all that down. So we are now here, 2019. Nowhere closer to finding this man. But as you said, I do believe our strongest suspect that we talked about was is the suicide that wasn't a suicide and somebody figured out that it was him and took him out yes that i honestly that's i i don't know like i just can't believe all the crap that's been thrown forward here that is so obviously has nothing to do with this case and another reason that i decide to put in all of the little bullshit that i know and you know and i'm sure anybody else with any sort of fucking common sense knows that it's not fucking related yeah is because one of the biggest things with this case is so many contradicting things so you've got some people saying that they weren't cleaned and pressed and all of this stuff yeah and where the hell is that coming from because that obviously seems to be what's linking them exactly but then you have to then you go back and you say that investigators found hairs and fibers on these on these bodies and so it's which you still could because they still had to be transported there in a car they weren't like cleaned on site it's very strange, but I think one of the reasons that I wanted to put in all of these very far-fetched, stupid, not smart ideas that are just, it's beyond common sense. Like, fucking use your, your brain yeah. for a second. And where I want to know the source of some of these theories, too. So, my problem, the reason I put them in there is because as pissed off as I have been with this entire case... Because of the fucking police work. That is why yeah. I put it in there. Because a lot of this is the police. Why do you think that these people did it? Why do you think these victims are linked? Why do you think some of these suspects are even fucking suspects? Like yeah. Just because they were involved in some sort of child pornography sexual thing, as terrible as it is, that does not make them related to this case. Right. That does not make them murderers. Mm-hmm. They are shit people and deserve to die, in my opinion. But it does not make them murderers. It does not make them the murderer of these cases. Right. Why put it in there? They've already done such a yeah. shitty job from the very first murder murder until now that like why do you keep just adding fuel to the fire and just adding all of these fucking stupid ideas on top of it pisses me off me too like stupid (sighs) all right well (laughs) i just got the terrible side eye (laughs) again if you guys want to learn more about this mind you i didn't go i mean i taught it's an hour and a half in now I did quite a bit of research, but I know that there's a lot more to be had and seen and heard. So if you are interested, I would check out, I plan on doing it. Um, Check out that investigation discovery, children of the snow, children in the snow. I think I'm going to watch that just to get some, Yeah, hopefully something. So it's, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of weird shit in there. Maybe a lot of contradicting shit to what I said. Who knows? This is just... This is a crazy case. It's a fucked up case is what it is. And there's just so much fucking bullshit involved in the fact that the the cops didn't do their job. They did not do their jobs. And everything, almost everything they did was fucking shit in this. And it pisses me off. (laughs) So, But on an unrelated note. What? We did Texas a couple weeks ago and I talked about the killing fields. We did that. And I also said that there was that movie that's got... um, 
Jeffrey Dean Morgan yes. in it. You watched it? I did. And? So I also forgot to mention that it has Jessica Chastain in it, who's okay. also amazing. Yeah, I love her. Good movie. I also have to remind, if you guys want to watch it, it's on Prime. You can watch it, quote unquote, free with ads. And it mm-hmm. literally had an eight second ad at the beginning and not an, an oh, ad cool. through the rest of it. So it's on Amazon Prime. You just have to watch an eight second ad and then the rest of it. Good movie. Okay. If anybody plans on watching it, I want you to keep in mind that this is a work of fiction based on some realities. Okay. Because I had a hard time at the beginning as I'm watching it because none of the victim, they didn't use any of the victims like real names, which I understand is probably like a thing that they couldn't do legally. Right. But there was a lot of differences. Okay. It's one of those like, kind of loosely based off a true Mm -hmm. story, but it's also not one of those that says at the beginning based on a true story or based on true events. Thank you, baby Jesus, because I fucking hate those. (laughs) But it's a, it's a good movie. Okay. It's, it's, it's good. It's knowing the case. It's a little predictable. Okay. But there are some shocks. I okay. think you would enjoy it. All right. Plus, like Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Let's oh. be honest. How about how about baby? <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't show. It's not gruesome. It's not gory. It's not really shown. It doesn't show their kill. Their killings. Okay. It, oh, I, you know what I mean? Because it yeah. follows the investigators. Okay. Good. But I figured I'd throw that out there because we talked about it in that episode. Yeah. That like I watched it. It's pretty good. Just remember, it's for entertainment yes not for it's not a documentary it is not a documentary but it's got jeffrey dean morgan in it so you can't really go wrong there you go but next week we are off to louisiana woohoo which i almost asked to swap weeks because i watched something on investigation discovery about louisiana the other day and i know my case now all right but i decided we weren't going to do that so next week we're off to louisiana if you have any suggestions, make sure you email us at stateofcrimepodcast at gmail.com or you can message our Facebook page and make sure you like our Facebook page. Join our discussion group. You can come chit chat with us, post some funny memes, which actually you sent me one today uh-huh. and I loved it. And it also <laughs> got sent forth on to other oh, people. Good. Yay. So. But you can chat about cases that you know of, cases that we talk about. You can just post funny memes that kind of light the mood. Yeah, make suggestions for upcoming cases. Exactly. Or even if we've already done a state, we can come back. Yeah. So, but anyway, we appreciate you. And like our Instagram and our Twitter. And if you're listening on an Apple device, I really need to make sure I remember to say this every week. But... If you are listening on an Apple device, make sure you go into your Apple podcasts and on our page, just scroll down to the bottom, rate and review us. It does wonders for us. Um, It helps us move around and have new people find us. Also, it'd be really cool if you like shared us on Facebook. Yes, please. That gets around to people. Mm -hmm. And just because you maybe you have some friends that aren't interested, you may have some friends that you don't know would be interested. (laughs) So just like share our page. We'd appreciate it. It does this. It does this fun stuff. So, so until next time, thanks for listening.